This episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast is brought to you by Quite Trill Radio, the best hip-hop internet radio show on the planet. If you know me or you train with me in the past, you know that I hate to train in silence, and that's where Quite Trill comes in. Quite Trill is the soundtrack to all of my training sessions. Quite Trill Radio has over 50-plus episodes that are about two hours apiece that are going to bring you some of the best in hip-hop, soul, and R&B, as well as underground hip-hop music. To listen, follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Quite Trill Worldwide. That's Quite, Q-U-I-T-E, Trill, T-R-I-L-L, Worldwide. Quite Trill Radio. The Sticks and Blades podcast is also brought to you by Vulpus Training. Vulpus Training is the home of some of the best training blades on the market. All of their blades are handcrafted. This means no CNC machines, water jets, or laser cuttings are used to manufacture their blades. All of their blades are hand ground on a belt sander freehand like a real blade. They offer 41 different blade designs, everything from traditional Filipino long blades, tomahawks, short everyday carry blades. Vulpus Training has you covered for all your training blade needs. I recently received their Taliban with a handguard that I'm actually holding my hand right now as we speak. And the handguard is actually big enough to fit a hockey glove through, guys, which means it's ideal for sparring. And the weight and the balance of the blade is pretty amazing. So to order, check them out on Facebook or Instagram at Vulpus Training. That's Vulpus, V-U-L-P-E-S, Training. Vulpus training we're also brought to you by fresh fit focus athletic wear fresh fit focus is a veteran-owned company that provides stylish athletic wear for the man or woman on the go that wants to look their best if you're looking for something to wear to the gym or something comfortable to wear around town fresh fit focus has you covered they have hoodies sweatsuits t-shirts hats and beanies that will keep you looking good and cater to all your athletic wear needs to order your gear, follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Fresh Fit Focus to start looking your best today. Welcome to the Sticks and Blades podcast. I'm your host, Doug Marsh, and my guest today, she's the author of Visualizing Flow, a Pakiti Tersha Kali training companion. She's a pioneer. She's the first female Tuhan in Pakiti Tersha Kali, and she's also a pioneer in the asynchronous training space. So all these Zoom trainings that you guys are seeing, it's nothing new to her. She's been doing it for quite some time. I want to welcome to the show Tuhan Arlene Pimpin Stevens. How are you doing today, ma'am? Hello, Doug. I am so glad to be here with you today. And thank you for joining me or inviting me. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. So uh, I just wanted to touch real quick, do a status check, touch base with you uh, with this COVID-19 stuff going on. How are you and your family holding up? 
We are doing well. Thank you for asking. As for the state of Maryland, we are on vaccination phase 1A, which means that we are giving back vaccines to licensed healthcare providers, including law enforcement, firefighters, EMS, all first responders. Interestingly, in the county that I live in, we are on phase 1B, which means that we are providing vaccines for residents who are 75 years and older. Good. Yeah, that's that. That's really good. It's starting to happen like that down here in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, it looks like there's there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, so hopefully we can get out of this pandemic soon enough. I'm ready to get back to training with folks. I have a long list of people that I want to want to train with. You know, it's interesting because the pandemic, what it's done for me personally, it's allowed me to, you know, reach out to certain people that I normally wouldn't reach out to and kind of forge these friendships. So, yeah, there's a nice list of people that I will be connecting with once this is done. (laughs) I have met a lot more people now than when COVID was not here. So in a way, although it's a bad situation, we were able to make uh, lemonades out of the lemons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I always like to ask a leadership question, and it's how do you define leadership And when did you realize that you had the skills to lead? Uh, I believe in deck plate leadership, which means that you are modeling behaviors to your constituents and in a way inspiring them to be better, uh, as well as to acquire more skills, um, be a good team player. Um, It's really interesting the way that I got into Pikiti leadership. Uh, it was because we needed leaders and teachers in the area. Uh, we didn't have anybody at that time. And without GT's encouragement and poking, I probably will not be able to <laughs> do what I'm doing now. So thanks to GT, he encouraged me and um, and trained me uh, to do this, this, this uh, thing that I'm enjoying now. Yeah, so when we say GT, folks... What we're referring to is Grand Tuhan Leo Tigahe. Everybody in the Pikiti Tertius circles, we call him GT. You know, so that's for the civilians to PTK. GT, if you hear us say that during this conversation, we're referring to Leo Gahe, the uh, Grand Tuhan. So, Arlene, you have a, a real interesting dynamic. You know, you have a husband that trains as well. You know, both of you guys are, are very talented. I've seen videos of you guys having fun with each other, training and stuff. You know, how is that to have somebody in the house, you know, this training partner that's kind of like on the same level that you are? That's an interesting question because uh, the way I see it, it's like also our relationship in the beginning. You know, when you're trying to get to know each other, everything is just so exciting. And it's the same thing with our partnership in Pikiti where we're learning it together and everything is just exciting. All of these knowledge coming in, the skills we're acquiring. And then you do hit us up. Um, a stage where now you're getting annoyed because <laughs> this is what I think it should be. And then the right. other person will be like, well, I think this technique should be this way. And then um, I think we matured over time, which is very nice that I'm experiencing it now because now we're more like, uh, okay, Monday, you and I will have to train because we're so busy with our jobs as well. So yeah. Now we've come to a point where we schedule, okay, no matter what, we have a date. We're going to do PTK in the basement. 
Um, and we're actually working well together now. Uh, we have started accepting that we have differences. And instead of saying this is better than the other, we now just put all ideas together and, you know, come up with a better solution. You know, so so, so with the Kiti, like in my opinion, you know, it, it's a blueprint of movement. And I think a lot of times what happens uh, with a lot of practitioners is the fact that we look at this thing and we think that it should be a certain way, you know, because we did learn it, you know, from whether it's from, you know, GT or from whatever teacher, we, we learned it a specific way. But like to me, I think that it's subject to interpretation. You know, it, it's like music, you know. So with music, you have like these fundamentals, you have these keys, you know, but from these basic keys, you have rock and roll, you have jazz, you have pop, you have hip hop, you have heavy metal, whatever. You have all these different genres of music, but they're all based on the same thing, on the fundamental. And so, you know, with Pikiti, it all starts out with footwork, of course. It all starts out with our ones and twos. And, you know, we, we build from there, from that point into all these ridiculous drills that we do. You know, so what's your viewpoint in terms of Pikiti? Do you think that it has to be structured all the way through or do you think it needs to be structured up to a, a specific point and then you begin to kind of create your own version of it, if you will? I love this kind of topic because I am a teacher by profession. And so um, I see it in two ways, one as a student and one as an, an instructor or a teacher. Whenever you're on a teacher, standing on a teacher's uh, side, of course, it has to be structured so that you can deliver the information to your students. So that's where the structure will be coming from, is in the teacher and the environment. But when it comes to the students, honestly, it doesn't really matter if there's structure or not, because they're learning something new. Right. And so in the in the in the eyes of the student, they really don't see all these things. All they are in for are, is the experience and the learning experience. So even for myself, when I'm learning, I don't care so much of the structure um, in terms of the curriculum, but I do look at the structure in terms of the organization. Like if the teacher is presenting, do they know? the path where they're going so that they can take me to a particular point. So yes, yeah, structure, but I think we need to define more in what terms is structure applied and how it's specifically applied to the lesson itself. Yeah, that's, that's good. So like to me, the best person that I've seen thus far uh, that kind of lays out building blocks in their training is with uh, Tuhan Leslie Buck, you know, Leslie, he has a way of integrating like whatever he's doing in the warm up to where it ends up being like part of the class instead of like this ancillary part. You know, there there's times to where I've been to different Pikiti classes and different FMA classes to where whatever you're doing when you're warming up, it absolutely has nothing to do with whatever the lesson is, you know, but he puts it together in such a way to where, you know, again, whatever you're doing in the first 10, 15 minutes of the class, it's going to help you you know, later on in the class and he builds on top of all that, you know, is, is that something that, that you find yourself doing with your people or, or no? I want to believe that because uh, Tuhan Lezi is one of my 
the people that I look uh, I look up to. I like the way that he delivers information. He's just so there's this uh, quiet confidence that he has. Right. And when there, whenever he's on the floor, he already knows what to do. Like just looking yeah. at the the audience, and you know there are really masters out there who has that talent. GD actually has the same talent. It's just that he had. There's some. Uh, how do you say it? Um, there is uh, like it's like organized chaos um, in, in cer- with certain masters, including GT. So when you have experience in training with them, you get to know them better, and that's when you start understanding that chaos. And then you know, in a way, the chaos become becomes this organized thing in your head. But in other with other people, it's not really that organized in their eyes. So anyway, for me, I wish that I do the same thing. Um, the way that I um, deal with that, making sure that I have some organization whenever I enter my class is that I sometimes I write my plan and I don't necessarily follow the plan. It's a guideline. But yeah, at least awesome. I know that I don't um, go out of the topic so much because it's very common when people start talking about something else and it's so easy to be derailed from what the point is for your lessons. So I try to do that. um, But I also have a group um, or a day in the week where I have a group where I can just be whoever I want to be. I can tell them whatever I want. We still have such certain guidelines, but I know don't need to write a lesson plan for them because they're my group in which I can be more creative and I, we explore certain things. Um, we've been together for long, five years or more, so I can do that with them now. <laughs> right, right. So I always say for me, but you, you'll hear me say that a whole lot. Um, for me, the magic isn't in the material, you know, the accumulation of everything that we get. To me, like going group to group, What I like to see is how people put things together to produce a certain outcome with their students. You know, because I found early on, like if I if I stayed within a certain confines of of a structure. Right. So just to pick something out, let's say the 64 attacks, you know, they would get to a certain point within the 64 to where. I'm like, okay, well, I've had enough of this. This is kind of boring. <laughs> you know, I have to I have to break away. And it's not it's not producing the result that I want. You know, so I find myself kind of tailoring stuff student to student. You know, in my teaching days, that's what I would do. I would always teach to the lowest denominator, so to speak. Do you find yourself doing kind of the same thing? Yes, I love what you said. I really do because <laughs> those things matter. Um I was just discussing to somebody before. Um this is really about the student. It's not about the the teacher or the instructor. You have to know your audience. And in Pikiri Tersha, in my experience, it's a multi-level class. You I don't really see people doing okay, uh, all beginners and then in their next class now it's like Lakan session and then a Lakan guru session because the the number of people you train is not really a lot of people so you end up most of us end up teaching a multi-level class so how do you do that how do you manage your class when you have a person training with you for 10 years and you have another who just started a week ago right right um the way that i do my curriculum 
and so I've heard some people talk about linear and circular curriculum. I do mine spiral. So you have the circular elements and the linear elements in your in your plan. Um, so it's you're progressing, but at the same time you have to keep coming back to previous knowledge. So you're doing some scaffolding techniques as well. It's kind of hard to explain how to do scaffolding techniques, but in a, in in short terms, it's just, it's what I mentioned earlier, where you're using an already learned skill and you're adding it to the next level. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. And, you know, I made the mistake early on as a, as a young instructor to where, you know, (laughs) I split, I would split my class, you know, to where someone came in, I would, I would take a newer person, put them with me and we'd go through whatever. And then I give the other side something else. And I'd have like one of the, I guess you'd call them more advanced or intermediate people kind of overseeing stuff. And I had a small group, you know, we're talking Mm -hmm. like maybe seven people or so. Right. But what ended up happening more often than not was that the people that were the beginners, they're, they're peeking over the fence. They're trying to see what's going on over there (laughs) with, with, yeah, they're like, (laughs) what's that? What are they doing? And, And, you know, I end up being an asshole. Hey, don't worry about what they're doing. You know, you need to do this. <laughs> so, so it, it's interesting, like you said, you know, to have uh, this, this multi-level class, you know, so when you started in martial arts, was Pikiti like the first thing that you ended up training in, or did you have a background in other stuff before coming to Pikiti? When I was eight, I came across Modern Ernie's. I did not know this um, during that time because I was young. I didn't know what was going on. I just remembered that they have red pants and black stripes. So <laughs> I was told it's modern Ernie's. So that was back in the Philippines. Um, the girls and the boys are actually training separately. And I, I was only taught single stick and double sticks while the boys are doing single stick with palm stick, which is, I think, espada y daga, I think is what it's representing. Then when I was 12, I did Taekwondo. I loved it, um, but I'm really into forms. So I love forms. I hated sparring only because I had a bad experience in sparring. Um, my first my first two weeks, I already, that my instructor already pushed me to spar, which I think that that just was not right. right. So I did not like that idea. So at, at, at that point, I said to myself, okay, I don't like this at all. Now in college, I did Lightning Scientific. Again, I did not know it was lightning scientific. Um, in, I just know it as Arnie's. So I did that for college because they also offer it at, at the University of the Philippines. And then I did Tai Chi uh, in 2004. I love Tai Chi. And so I, I was doing Tai Chi for a long time. So when I moved here in the States, I was actually looking for a Tai Chi class. Mm-hmm. But I found none in my area. And then I said, you know what? Let me type our niece on Google and see what comes up. Because I, I remember loving practicing our niece. And so um, I had one that's very near my area, very close to me. So I enrolled in that class. And then a few months after, maybe eight months after, I met uh, GT Gahe at a seminar. And that's where my journey started. So it's funny. You, you brought something up, Lightning Scientific. And that was... Uh... Uh, ben Lemma, that was his system. Mm-hmm. Um, who did you end up training with in the Philippines? Was it John Esquerdo? 
No. Um, so in the at the University of the Philippines, you have instructors who would teach that. So they they're not. Um, my instructor was Eric Mejia, but he's not a part of all that. You know, the people who are known in the in the art. Mm-hmm. But he was an instructor there. My aunt actually did teach Arnisa's will at her school. Um, but I don't know what art it was, but I know she was borrowing my sticks back in the day. So wow. there were some places in the Philippines that do teach Arnis or include Arnis in their curriculum. I was just one of the lucky ones that was able to be exposed to it early, um, early on. So I understand like in the Philippines, the FMA, it really isn't like that big of a deal. It's starting to gain some popularity, but Overall, you know, I've heard like MMA is more, uh, I guess, more popular and more accessible uh, than what, you know, Kali, Arnis, the Scream is. Why, why do you think that is, in your opinion? Um, I would say colonial mentality. I think you have heard that many times before, and that is true. Um, it is existing. Also, um, there's secrecy. And so even if people want to learn this, it, people don't want to teach because they only choose who they want to teach. Right. Yes. So I think those two are big. Sometimes even if the audience would want to learn or the Filipinos would want to learn, it's kind of hard when the material is not available, right? Or the material is not open for you. It's the same thing with Tai Chi. Um, that's why I established in 2007 Philippine Tai Chi Network because we also can't find instructors for Tai Chi because they're also secretive. And so I created a network to where people can find instructors in our area and people can train. Yeah. And you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head with Tai Chi. I did a little bit of uh, Wu Tai Chi back in the early 2000s myself. And I really had to go and scrape and find, you know, the instructor, his name was Jing Yu Gu. And he, you know, he taught in this park in Austin, Texas, and he had a small group of people and, you know, he did his thing, but he wasn't very easy to find. Um, you, you have brought up something pretty interesting with sparring. You know, so there's always this debate in in PTK or, well, yeah, I'll say in PTK because that's what I do and that's where I hear it from, that, you know, sparring is so important that you find that you find yourself in sparring. But what I've what I found myself with sparring is if you take somebody in there too early. And when I mean too early, I mean like, you know, let's say a month, two months, three months in there. The only thing that they're, they're doing is, is surviving, you know? So they, they go in there, you know, you as an experienced person, you, of course you're going to beat the hell out of them. And it's easy. You know, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, But it becomes this exercise to where, you know, they're, they're just going tit for tat or, you know, they're, they're trying not to get hit, you know, like that's their whole thing. There's like no strategy behind what they're doing, you know? So when, when do you introduce sparring into uh, what you do? For me, it depends on the dynamic of the class. And also I have small group classes right now. I don't put them in one pot only because of scheduling issues so usually I would pair them depending on the interviews. I do an interview before I admit them. Right. And so I do pairing. If I feel like they would flourish in this, say, in the Wednesday night group, then I would put them on Wednesdays. Um, 
So I do think about my class. So in that sense, it will be easier for me to develop what or how I will deliver the information to them. So given that, um, given that situation, I do my sparring um, this year. I did my sparring a little bit early because my class um, are comprised. My classes are comprised of people who have experience for for this year, which is great. So I was able to do it on their third month. So the third month is they're out of probation. I have a probationary period, and during that probationary period, I give them. That's my timeline to give them um, lessons to where they can get the basics and succeed in our cycles. We, we we have what we call cycles. So anyway, this year we did it within three months, but our sparring is more directed. So we have a goal for a particular day and then, okay, we're just going to hit the hand and this is our lesson. So we're going to use these techniques and see if you can hit the hand using this kind of footwork and this kind of technique. So we do it in um, increments I don't do freestyle sparring just like that. Um, and also because of COVID, it's a little tricky because we are training in our house and not in the in a facility where we have bigger space. Right. So right now that affected that. But yes, um, it really depends on the students. Again, know your know your audience. And the next next is that prepare them for something that's too random. Yeah, you you brought up you, you dropped a lot of good nuggets uh, right there. And, and the thing that I took away from what you just said was grouping. You know, I never I never ever thought about that. You know, I do interview or I should say I did interview because I'm, I'm getting away from teaching now. I'm stepping away from that. Uh, but generally, you know, I would have a conversation with somebody and like give them the, the D level material when they first came. You know, so like the first two or three classes, we do footwork. You know, not just them standing there doing like reverse triangle. I would feed strikes and make a move offline, all this stuff. So they could so they could see that there's some type of application to it. But I I only trained like maybe well not trained, but taught once a week. You know, so that was kind of tricky. <laughs> if I had multiple days, I that's a strategy that uh, I think a lot of people should at least take a look at. Being able to put certain people with certain groups of people so that you don't screw up your group. That's true. You know, sometimes there will be an outlier. It's um, it's a mechanism that happens just naturally. Um, there, was, there will be a weak link uh, sometimes in a group. There will be an outlier. And I expect that every single time I do my groupings because my data is not always 100% correct. Sometimes it's based on the interview or my impression of them, right? So you develop that, that as a teacher anyway, and because I know what I'm looking for. So at least I can categorize, okay, this is where I want to put them. But um, yes, grouping helps. But also what I do with my group, talking about the asynchronous learning, is that I have a way for them to do their assignments. So whether or not they're trained um, outside of class, that's fine. But at least I give them that opportunity to do it. I have a mobile app where they can look at my review notes. And sometimes I do review videos. And then I also have a library online where they can log in. And if they want to train a particular topic, most of them are basic, really. Then they can do that. So whenever they come to class, 
they're seeing that they know what they lack. It's an adult class. It's not a children's class. So right. most of the adults are fully formed adults, right? Most of them are well, 40 and up. Yeah. So they can make the judge they can make the judgment. Um, they know what they can and cannot do. So it being able to give them materials outside of class uh, really do help. And then I also have a way through the mobile app where they can communicate with me at any time of the day because we all have our own professions. And then I can just look at the messages and answer whenever I can. So they know that I am here no matter what. And with that assurance, it helps because if they're busy, they can still, they don't forget the question. It, 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 they can a- ask the question and then we get to it whenever we can. Yeah, that's that's cool as hell. You know, uh, I've, I really haven't heard of anybody using technology the way that you just described. You know, a, a lot of times as teachers, you know, we, we drill things over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, just speaking for myself, the best that I usually do, there, there's times to where I might do a, a small video just to review like a basic movement or something and, you know, send out a, an encouraging text, you know, to, to let them know what's going on. And, you know, I guess uh, just a basic review of the class, but to have a library online of stuff, you know, and 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 examples of all these drills and things that you're doing. How long have you been doing that? So I started conceptualizing it in 2014, and I started developing it from, from that point on, but I really started getting more clients using it the year after that, and my clients were overseas at that point. It wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of people, of course, we probably will get to the point of, oh, about being a female instructor, but um, I think it, it does play a role um, in, cre- in getting clients. So anyway, um, it's funny because I have one student who started that program and until now he's training with me. So, I mean, it's a good thing. It's, to me, it's a it's success where you, at least you kept one student training with you for that long. Um, but anyway, yes, I started in 2000, I conceptualized in 2014, but really started practicing in 2015. And then um, I used um, Google Hangouts back in the day Mm because YouTube back in the day was connected to Google Hangouts and then they stopped the program. Right. Um, We did some other um, live video broadcast before. I've done the live too. Um, It didn't work well only because of Wi-Fi and it's just too slow back in the day. And then um, now I'm doing Zoom. I've done Cisco WebEx, but now we're back to Zoom. And in Zoom right now, I'm testing the breakout rooms, which so far has worked well for my students. So besides our main room in the Zoom, there's a part of our class where I do breakout sessions where they can interact with one of their classmates and they can feed each other on the video Mm. and do the drill together. Yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. You know, I, I've done a couple of Zoom classes or seminars and there's the problem with it is this for me. OK, here I am again saying for me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> with the way that I operate, you know, we go in, you know, log in and I see like all these daggone squares. Like there was this one uh, that happened last weekend 
And there were about 53 people from all over the daggone world that were on this one. And what I ended up doing, instead of actually training, I'm sitting here just looking at people, right? Right. (laughs) I'm watching how people are moving and I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, this is a, this person's atrocious, Jesus Christ. And I've never very rarely seen people use it the way that you're describing, you know, to where you can have a breakout room and you can, you know, feed somebody to where, you know, you could see them move a certain way and respond to whatever they're being fed, you know? So that, like I said, that's just something different. That's something different. You're a pioneer too, Han. That's good. (laughs) Thank you. I wish I have the same problem as yours. Um, My class doesn't go way past that way past 20, but, (laughs) but uh, wow, that's a lot of people. And I agree. um, If it's too many people, you do end up, uh, it does take time to screen everybody and screening is important. So if you're saying that it's taking a long time because you end up watching people, you're actually doing a good job because it means that you're also looking at your students and what they're doing. So that, that is understandable. Um, Let me, let me, I guess, clarify what I'm saying as a participant, you know, oh, as, a, as, a participant. as a participant, I'm sitting here just looking at people. <laughs> that's, oh, that's why I, I thought you were teaching it. No, no, no. I wish I had 53 people that want to come learn from me, but I have 53 people listen to this podcast for sure. But 53 people uh, to come to learn. No, not yet. But uh, yeah, as a participant, what I find myself doing, I just black out the camera and I just watch, you know, because <laughs> and that's what I do. It's just like, wow, you know, this person's supposed to be this Jesus, you know. But you know, that's the teacher in you talking because, it, and there is a there is an energy for a teacher, and you will not help that. It's it's an energy that you need to spend. Yeah, you I need to teach. <laughs> Even though I don't want to, I don't. You know, like I like I said earlier, I'm stepping away from teaching for a while, and. Mm-hmm. Part of it is just being burned out, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to complain too, too much or go into it. But it's it's a challenge at times. It's it's definitely a challenge. And um, so you addressed something earlier about, you know, being a a woman in this male dominated art, you know, this testosterone filled art of killing, you know, this bikini tertia. You know, uh, do you feel that sometimes people don't show you the the necessary respect that you deserve? Uh, yes, I feel that quite often. <laughs> but at the end of the day, as a martial artist, you also know that it's a distraction, and it's not really about that. I think sometimes if I feel that people are against me or not respecting me. I think that's my ego talking. And so it's um, a sign that I need to put my ego down because again, this is not about me um, or this is not about me getting um, acknowledgement or any pat in the back um, that I am here because I need this for myself. And that the reason why I'm teaching is because teaching is another way of learning when I when I come back to these things, then everything else stopped to matter, and I go back and focus on what my goals are for training Pikiri Tersha. Yeah, well, I can tell you, you know, 
probably about two or three years ago or longer. You know, I, I remember seeing some of your videos online and I'm like, who the hell is this lady, man? You know, because a lot of times I've seen females, you know, train and I've been in classes to where I've had some women there training and, you know, they they're kind of hesitant, I guess you can say, in certain regards uh, to the art and they their movement and their footwork, their body mechanics is just not on point. There's very few that that are on point. And, and you're one of the few, you know, so do you think that comes, you know, I guess from natural talent or did you have to really work at this? Um, in the Philippines, I've done folk dancing and I think that really helped me in doing certain movements. Also, our niece is not really um, separate from myself because it's, it's, it's been a part of my identity when I was younger. I was walking around with uh, Kali sticks when I was a new student when I was in sixth grade because we had to move. And I was walking around in class with a stick. In any case, the boys would come at me because I was from an exclusive girl school. And then I went into a co-ed school and I did not know how to act in front of boys. Um, I also had a lot of, uh, well, in our family, we're an all-girls family too. So I'm not like the others who speak male. Right. Um, right now I have to rely on Malcolm to do the translating for me sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's something new for me. So anyway, um, going back to what you were saying, um, yeah, it's, um, I just have to, um, I have to uh, balance and find, figure out myself. I'm just happy that I have the background in dancing um, the the main issue that I have is learning the male language, but in the in the movement itself, I think there's no gender with that. So I'm just pretty lucky that I have, I have a coordinate. Uh, I have good coordination. Also, whenever I move, I actually hear sounds in my head, um, and I see lines. So that's why it's called visualizing flow because I that actually is my experience. Whenever GT is moving or I'm moving. I see certain lines on the floor or in the space and I hear drum beats whenever I do the movement. So in a way, it seems like that's my guide internally wow. for me to do the moves. That's wow. That's incredible. I've never heard anybody. You've seen you ever seen that movie? Was it Sherlock Holmes or whatever with Robert Downey Jr.? I have to watch it. No, okay. Anyway, basically what you just described was kind of the way he would analyze certain situations. Like he was very analytical you know, with his approach to, you know, taking somebody out or whatever, if he had to fight or whatnot. And, you know, I end up the way that I get through things. I just it's just repetition, you know, repetition. I, I suck at first, no matter what it is. If it's a new drill or something, I, I go through it real slow and I usually don't end up getting it until I leave. You know, so the whole seminar, I might might not know what the world I'm doing, but on the way home, I'm, you know, I'm practicing in the car. I'm thinking about it. And, you know, eventually it finds itself coming out. So going back about 15 minutes ago in this podcast, you you had mentioned Grand Tuhangahe and the first time that you ended up seeing him. You know, so what school was that at? And, and what was that first meeting like? So that school was in Laurel. It's a Taekwondo school. And the group was led by um, back then guru, now to Juan Bobby Ladra. Oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. 
And um, it was a lot of people. I was excited about it because I've heard good things about him. I've watched him on YouTube. And then he has this entourage coming in the room. And um, it's just a, it's just a very dramatic <laughs> conference, you know. Um, and um, there were some women there as well. So it was a very good environment. Um, it was exciting. So um, I did not really uh, talk to him much because I'm a shy person, but I did observe him from afar. But I think when we started doing drills, you know, when he starts doing drills where all of you will line up and then you will start striking your sticks until you um, reach the end of the room. Mm-hmm. We did that. And so I think at that point, um, when we did that a few times, I received some attention because of that. And so from there, because I am a good supporter of our of our school, um, I did get a chance to have uh, a private session with him. So from there, you know, we started having more conversations. We drove him around the area, and I was a part of that group that drove him around the area. So again, I got lucky on that one. Right. And those times, they're more important than what the seminars are, you know, because you get to kind of see him unwind and, and not be in character, so to speak. You know, he's just regular old Leo, you know, instead of, <laughs> instead of Grand Toulon. That's true. But, you know, I've never seen nor I've never seen anything like that. Um, in the Philippines, they don't really pay much attention to these things. You know, if you're a grandmaster or a martial artist, okay, you're a grandmaster or martial artist, you teach. And um, the way that they treat him was so he was revered in the in the group by the by a lot of people. And then you see these people coming from different states um, mm-hmm. acknowledging his presence. And to me, as a Filipino, um, seeing all that, that was quite um, interesting. And I felt honored because, wow, a Filipino in the United States and people are coming to him and uh, appreciating his work. So I, that was pretty inspiring for me. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, about this show, uh, one of the reasons why I started it was to humanize people, you know, just like what you're talking about. Sometimes we we treat these grandmasters and, and instructors like they're rock stars, like they're not human. And I know from experience, as far as being a teacher and you hang around your students sometime, you know, they're back in the day, I used to, you know, go out for beers every now and again. And it was just a totally different vibe. I didn't feel like being on. So with this show, again, it's just a place to where everybody can come in, you know, lay back, be yourself and talk, you know, just like now, you're not too on. You're just Arlene. We're kicking it. We're having a good time. We're talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with uh, with Grand Tuhan, you know, you said that you started with him with uh, that seminar over at, at Bobby Ledra's place. And uh, mm-hmm. Bobby or Apollo, I'm sorry. No, that's good. No, was it Bobby or, or Apollo? I didn't want to it, get it. It was Bobby, but because they're brothers, it's usually Bobby and Apollo. But right. um, b- back then, well, Apollo was there too. Duan Apollo was there. But um, the group itself was spearheaded by Duan Bobby. So I put credit in that too so that he Got can it. get credit as well for what he does. Yeah, every time I hear Ladra, I always go to Apollo for some reason or another. Probably because he's the most visible because one. It, <laughs> and also because he starts with an A. 
you know, yep, that, makes <laughs> that makes sense. You know, so what, what year was that? I don't think I asked that question. What, what year was that, that you, you met Grand Tuhan over at uh, the Ladra Dojo? It, it was summer of 2011. Okay. So you've had these times to where, you know, you train with, with Grand Tuhan, you said you got a private uh, lesson one time and you were responsible for being like his chauffeur, showing him around town and all that stuff. You know, at what point did he start to accept you, I guess, as like a private student and somebody that he would come visit on his seminar tours? It was an accident. So he needed um, somebody to, uh, he needed a place to stay at during that time because um, Bobby was not available. He had to go somewhere. So then um, we took him in, in our, in our townhouse and uh, we had a massage chair. And from then on, he just fell in love with that chair. <laughs> me being a chauffeur, that was also an accident. Um, and then he he took me he took me to places as well. Well, I took him to places, I guess. Um, and just that exposure accelerated my learning because I was with him for a long time during the day and during the week and during the month. Um, with my job before, I'm off during the summers. So whenever GT comes, I'm with him the whole time. Oh, so wow. whenever he started training, it was more um, when I was looking for an instructor because we didn't have instructors at that time. Um, Bobby, Ladra moved to Florida. They have a big project there. So we ended up not having a regular instructor. So I needed one. And I was looking at some schools. I told GT about it. I said, GT, I'm going to enroll in some classes. What do you think about these these um, classes? And he said, no, you're going to train with me. Um, but my experience of him initially when I was training is I really don't ask him to train me. Uh, I have a tire dummy outside of our um, of our place. And I would just hit the tires and, you know, f- flow, whatever. And I don't invite GT to train with me at all, but he would right. see me do wrong things. And I think he can't stand that. And right. so he would go out and say, no, 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 no. This is how you do it. I think that's how we, that's how we um, developed our relationship. Then one time I remembered it was, it was summer and uh, it was so hot, but sometimes I would go out the deck and I was doing angle one and one angles, one and two. And he told me, okay, repeat that this many times. So I kept on doing it. Then he went inside to cool himself down, right? And they got some AC, um, drinking his coffee. And then I I wouldn't stop because he didn't tell me to stop. So then I noticed he was already making phone calls. I'm like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) I'm here outside and, you know, there are mosquitoes and, and all that. But I didn't stop. I said, no, I have to. I have to um, persevere here and show that I have discipline. And I think that's that's how he started appreciating that, where I don't complain much and I don't ask for a lot. And so he tend to give more because I'm not asking for anything. Yeah. So and and, sorry. and you, you, gave, you gave away a secret, too. So one of the secrets, you know, if you want to get more, just screw up. <laughs> if you're front of if you ever find yourself in front of Grand Tuhan Gahe, do something wrong on purpose. <laughs> and and he'll come by. He'll be like, no, 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 no. It's like this. Then you know, do it wrong again. <laughs> and there it is. You're going to basically have your little private session right there. I heard Tuhan Leslie's story about that, and that was really interesting because um, 
I can relate to what he was saying, although I wished I heard him say that story before because I could have used that same tactic in asking him questions and, you know, saying, oh, this doesn't work, GT. Can you show us how this works? <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah, there, there are times to where, you know, I would hold the knife wrong or hold a stick wrong just for the hell of it because I knew. <laughs> I knew that... It would it would result in him coming over there and looking at me like I'm crazy and stepping in and I'd really get the details that I needed, you know. So that's the secret, folks. Anyhow, uh, me on Doug's podcast. That's right, the Sticks and Blades podcast, where we where we reveal all the secrets of Bikini Tertia. So, <laughs> as far as becoming a Tuhan, okay, you did you when you started receiving rank from. Uh, in, in Pekiti Tertia, was it from Grand Tuhan or, or did you have a relationship training wise with the Ladra brothers still to where they were bringing you along? No, I was with the Ladras for about eight months and then I became GT's private um, student at that time. Um, I did receive my, my uh, promotion from GT. And the funny thing is that I received the first um promotion that I received was a made up rank. So uh that was that was quite interesting. Um <laughs> he promoted me to Yakan Guru, which does not really exist in Pikiri Tirsha. But that was because when I first met him, he gave me an okay to show somebody, you know, whatever I learned to have a training partner and show that training partner what I'm learning. Right. Um and then, um, yes, he he promoted me. And um, it's funny because the way that he told me was, I have a surprise for you. And, <laughs> and when he does these things, I really, I think he's really sweet. Uh, there's a part of him that's really, really sweet and I love a lot. And so um, it's like he was trying to wrap a present, a Christmas present when I'm there and he's trying to hide it so much before the 24th or the 25th happens. That's how he looked like when he gave me my um, my plaque, my first plaque. Uh, yeah, so that, that was it. Um, for the Tuhanship, I remember very well when he told me that he will promote me to Tuhan. I was actually in Texas. I was in um, San Antonio and uh, I was, I was in that, I forgot that place where you, there's a market. It was a nice market. I forgot what it was. Central, but, uh, Central market? You know, the market where it's like cultural, where oh, we have dances uh, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, market Square. That's downtown. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there. I was looking at some souvenirs because I was about to leave uh, in a few weeks and uh, he called me and I gave him some updates on, you know, what I'm doing. And um, I told him something and it was, um, I guess he was proud of what I've done because I, I topped my class. So, yeah, there he told me, oh, you're good. I'm going to promote you to Tuhan. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And it's like, what now? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm with Tuhan. What now? Oh, God. You know? I, I, I actually said, please don't do that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, sometimes no one can stop GT, whatever he wants to do. He's um, he is a very willed, a strong willed person. And also to me, um, being Filipina, 
um, when an elder offers you something, or actually anybody else, but definitely elders, you accept that because you respect their judgment. You want to show that you trust their judgment. Um, and so with things like that, uh, it's hard to say no to, to something like that. You accept it and you deal with it and you make sure that you work towards um, deserving it. Yeah, figure it out as you go. So with this book that you you wrote, this visualizing flow, you know, so how, how did that come about? Um, I've been writing notes ever since I started in Pikiti Tirsha. Um, so GT, when he taught me, and I guess I was telling somebody, when somebody teaches you something, there's uh, whatever you're interested at or whatever your brain can handle, that's going to be your perception and judgment. So maybe because I'm so interested in lines, because I see those lines and I hear the beats. So my tendency is to write notes based on my interest. So I've been doing these uh, notes for my students. And I usually print them out and give it to my students in a binder. What I noticed is that whenever I print these pages, sometimes it ends up in the trash or it ends up crumpled in their bag. You know how the guys are sometimes. They don't mean to be disrespectful. It's just that, you know, you shove everything in your in your training bag and that's just how it's going to be. Right. So then I said, you know what, my pages are getting bigger because I have my own binder and it's getting thick. And I said, I can't keep on print reprinting these pages because sometimes they would say, um, Arlene, can you print the that one thing again that you gave me last month? Then I would reprint it gra- gladly. But then I realized, you know what, I can't keep on doing this. It needs to be in a binder where they can revisit every time. And it needs to be in a big binder where they will not crumple it. Um, so yeah, I, I made that for my group. Um, when I was looking on how to print it, the binder went up to $90. I said, no way I'm not going to pay or have people pay $90 for this. I said, I need a better way of printing this. So that's when I found out about, you know, the publishing of the book and all that, it will be cheaper at that time. And I can choose a page that's really good. So then again, everything by accident, I woke up one morning because initially the original title is, um, what was that? Um, The training handbook for Piketty or something like that. And then I woke up one morning, I said, oh my gosh, I'll call it visualizing flow because I'm seeing the flow. It's an excellent title, by the way. Say it again. I said, that's an excellent title, by the way. Thank you. It just it just came to me. I woke up one morning and that was it. And then I said, oh, let me put a play with it a little bit and put it in a cover and just to see how the title looks on a page. But this is the, the interesting part. Okay, it's visualizing pl- flow, right? Um, I have to put Piketty Tirsha in there to honor Piketty Tirsha. But I can't put Piketty Tirsha because if people will get a hold of this book, they will think that this is all about the, everything here is everything about Piketty. I said, no, I can't do this. This is going to be controversial. I can't do this. And even if I know it's for my students, I know we share. So sometimes it may reach another person and, you know, um, it will be um, like what? Like, like wildfire. So anyway, um, yeah, that's the story of the book. Okay. So we always hear as Bikini people, and I'm sure people within the FMA, they always hear, you know, Grant Tuhan, he says, I am the book, you know? So 
I always say that, you know, he is the book, but all of us are chapters in that book. If if you've been trusted to become an instructor, or even if you're a practitioner, you're a chapter in the book, because ultimately, you know, it's like I said before, you're going to see this art in a certain way that other people just don't. And it doesn't mean that you're right. And it doesn't mean that you're better than anybody else. It just means it's a little different. You know, do you see yourself as a chapter in the Pekiti Tertia book? Um, I would like to, but I don't see myself there yet. Um, but I would love to. I would love to. And I like what you said because I, um, when you were in that chat, I was actually online and I saw your comment there. And I liked what you said there. Um, yeah, no, I don't see myself as a chapter of the book yet. I, I wish that I'll be a part of it. Okay. If I'll be given a chance. Okay, so we're on the back end of the interview. So I'm going to run through a couple of things and, and we'll go ahead and call it a show. But as far as the future of Pekiti Tertia, where do you see it going? I think we're in the future already. Um, it has already evolved and um, in good ways. Um, and it has its own mechanism to where the people who are who don't have it will not flourish and it's it's a good mechanism to have um the community is more aware too and so it's nice to see um that is the future of bikini i think it will keep growing i think it will there will be a lot more evolutions uh it will be applied continuously in t- military and law enforcement tactics um people will pick it apart but pick it apart in a good way um, whoever picks it apart in a bad way uh, will be pretty obvious because, um, again, people are getting more and more aware of it. As for the women, on the women's side, I think we need more time uh, and we have to learn how to step up. Um, for the males, definitely um, the exploration will continue. Uh, I'm sure that there will be um, improvements in the grappling piece, you know, I understand given the BJJ and all that, but it, it, it will, it will all melt, uh, mold, be mold, molded together. If that makes sense, yeah. we'll all just be in this fusion. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Fusion is good. Um, as long as it works for the person who's training it. So yeah, that's the future of Bikiti. And you brought up ladies and I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to a couple of ladies in Bikiti Tertia. Um, I don't know if she still trains, but there was this uh, young lady. Her name was Katie. I can't think of what her last name was. Katie but Katie Austin, Texas. No, she's uh, she was here in Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Katie, there was Janet, and uh, of course, Jeanette Ladoris, who I've met before. She's very talented. Uh, also, uh, Jenna. Jenna, she's in uh, Philadelphia. Her and her husband, Ross Angola. You know, so uh, those are some ladies that you know, they have their shit together as far as this bikini thing's concerned. So my next Actually, one... may, may I add to Mildred Nakamura in Japan, DM Nguyen also starting to learn and teach PTK through PTTA, Katie Hunt Aber, who's um, under Apollo as well. Um, and Jem Zabala also. Jem, um, oh yeah. PTK WF. Yeah. Okay, well, there it is. We we got all the ladies that are doing something, making moves in Pekiti Tertia. So the next question is kind of fun. And 
before you answer it, you have to be able to help me with the question. Make sense? Okay, let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So who would you want to be on the Sticks and Blades podcast? Before again, I want? yeah. Who would who would you want want me to interview? Who who would you want to hear on the show? Um, I would like to hear um, Peachy Barons again from uh, Alice Illustrisimo because I, I really look up to her and I, I want to hear her journey um, because she has been in KI for long, uh-huh. and um, she she gave me an opportunity to join her, her class last night and it was beautiful. Yeah, um, we did it through Zoom, and uh, so yes, I want to know more about her. Yeah, she. A lot of people see her, and you know, she's one of uh, Tony Diego's uh, uh, disciples. You know, so that that yeah, Peachy's a good one. I'll see what I can do about reaching out to Peachy, and uh, you know, if I can't reach out to her, I'm gonna be messaging you, asking you to ask for me <laughs> to get Peachy on this show. Uh-huh. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up with my ten questions. Okay, they're rapid fire questions. You've heard them before here on the show. And uh, again, they're just fun. So the first question, what's your favorite weapons category? Double sticks. What's your least favorite? Empty hand. What do you love about the Filipino martial arts? It makes me feel alive. What turns you off about the Filipino martial arts? Politics. What do you love to do besides train? Play music. What do you hate? Liars. What's your favorite curse word? (laughs) My favorite curse word? Um, Sugar honey iced tea. Oh, damn. I never heard it like that. For those of you guys that are a little slow, that's shit, folks. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what martial art besides FMA would you like to try? Uh, wushu. Okay. What martial art would you not want to try? Uh, oh, my God. BJJ. <laughs> for, 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 it's a female thing, but yes. I understand. So, <laughs> lastly, when it's all said and done, what do you want your martial arts legacy to be? Um, push women to step up. Awesome. So if folks, if they want to find you online or if they want to reach out to you as far as training is concerned, how can they get in contact with you? My URL is train. Thank you for listening to our show. Subscribe, rate, share, leave a review and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at South Texas Kali. Until next time, stay safe and train hard. Peace.